Father, we pray that you would be near to us today. Let us, we with the church around the world, remember the day in which you swallowed up death forever, that this day would be for us a day of great hope, and that we would walk in the way of our Lord. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, a very happy Easter to you all. I was talking to someone earlier this week and they uh, made a passing comment. They said, well, this Sunday is your last Sunday and it's also Easter Sunday. And I said to them, those two things are not of equal importance. (laughs) Uh, One of them uh, is far more important than the other. And as I thought about it, there's nothing more uh, fitting, it seems to me, on a last day with you all than to point us fully and uh, wholeheartedly towards the resurrection of Christ. And so we do so with these words that Nate just read for us from John 20. And what's interesting is the lectionary has us reading the same passage we read last Easter Sunday. So 12 months ago, we were in John 20 uh, as well. And I was reflecting on that. I was thinking about it this week, uh, thinking back to what life looked like 12 months ago. I remember I preached last Easter Sunday's sermon into uh, my iPhone in an empty chapel on the west side. And as I recall, I preached the whole sermon twice because uh, I didn't realize until I finished that my phone had not started recording. Um, And so I got to do it all over again. Um, We don't have the same challenge today, thankfully. Um, But what's interesting, I was just thinking about this, thinking about the the collective moment we all found ourselves in 12 months ago. Easter fell at this time of heightened fear as we're kind of in the midst of the pandemic and all that that brought with it, all of the disorientation, the confusion. It was thick as it could be on Easter Sunday. Um, And I don't think any of us had a clue what the next year would hold, what the following months would contain as we uh, look at what this last year has been, the loss of life, the human suffering we have seen at a global scale, uh, the ways in which human sickness and brokenness has been on display in so many horrific moments, horrific events of the last year, the political divisions that we have had to navigate both at a national level, but also in ways that split through our most dear and intimate relationships. And so it's been uh, quite a year to say the least, and yet we do what Christians have always done. On Easter, we gather as people of incredible hope, and we look at whatever is in the world, whatever is facing us, and we say, Christ is risen. And this is what Christians have always done. This is the posture the church has always taken because uh, suffering at a scale like we've experienced this year may be new to many of us, but it's not new to the church around the world today and it's not new to the church throughout history. Uh, This is what it's meant to be a human being. The level of uh, peace, the level of um, health that we receive and accept as normative is anything but for the whole of history. And so for over 2000 years, Christians have faced things that we can only imagine. And yet they still year after year without exception have gathered on Easter to say Christ is risen. This is what we do. We gather and we return to the tomb. Maybe especially we return to the tomb in times of confusion, in times of weariness or exhaustion. There's no better place to be. Um, We just sang about it. The, The tomb, the empty tomb is the center of all history. 
That's the line from that song. The cross and resurrection is the center of all history. And so when we feel uh, like we need to recenter ourselves, we need to return to the center. And that's what we do on Easter. We're meant to do it every week. Every Sunday is in a sense, uh, a celebration of Easter. Even in Lent, that's why our fasting rhythms are lessened on Easter, on Sundays in Lent, because we remember that this is the center of all that exists. This is the center of our lives and we recenter to this center. And so to do so, I want to focus just on Mary Magdalene today. Uh, Last year, if you were with us, you may recall this, we spend a good bit of time talking about Peter and John in our reading from today and the different responses Peter and John have to the resurrection. One of them, uh, Peter rushes in kind of headstrong and just rushes into the tomb. John's more calculated, more reserved, more intellectual. Uh, And there's a lot there that's really interesting, but I want us really just to focus on Mary because I sense in her again, an example for us of what do we do when life feels crazy? What do we do when life feels disorienting and exhausting, we do what Mary did. Look at the first verse we read today. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Mary is remembered in the life of the church as someone whose entire life had been transformed by Jesus Christ, uh, entirely reoriented to Christ. And before she experiences the glory of Easter, in this moment, we find her suffering from the the loss of Good Friday. What does she do? How does she make sense of this grief that she's experiencing? And what we learn from her example is she comes to the tomb. She didn't have Easter as a point of reference for her Good Friday, for this first Good Friday. Uh, This weekend was for her a place of incredible loss and harrowing in so many ways. And yet, what does she do? She finds a way forward and she says, I want to be as close to my Lord as I possibly can be. I don't know what this will do. I don't know if it will solve anything. She maybe didn't think it would solve anything. I I doubt resurrection, bodily resurrection was something that she had as a category that she was thinking, if I stay here long enough, he's going to come out of the tomb. No, it was in no way on her radar. And yet she says, in my grief, I want to be near to Jesus. Think about this. No one forced her to go to the tomb. She could have stayed home. She could have stayed home and be isolated in her pain, isolated in her grief, turn it inwards. And yet she said, I'm going to go and be near to my Lord. And what's interesting to me is her encounter of the risen Christ comes as she makes that decision to go and be near to Jesus. And we need to be clear, she didn't cause Jesus to rise. Jesus rose from the dead independent of her response. But the way in which we read about the story, the reason church, uh, the Christians have in church read this for thousands of years is because she chose to go and encounter the resurrection. She met Jesus in that place. And that requires an act of faith. And it requires the same from you and from me as well. There is something objectively true about the resurrection. Jesus is ruling and reigning right now, this very moment, whether you accept it, whether you believe it, whether you see it, it's independent of our response. Um, And yet we have to respond. Uh, We have to move towards Christ like Mary to encounter him even in our pain, even in our grief. And so it's in a sense, the resurrection opens up for us the possibility of life. That's what the resurrection brings. The world, the very core of creation was transformed on the first Easter. It brings the possibility and the potential of life. And yet life must be cultivated. Life has to be tended. We have to 
to, uh, to place ourselves, we could say, in the stream of life. Um, here, I'll, I'll give you an example. You have had to listen to 12 months of me um, going on about country living. And so I'll finish with one more ridiculous uh, story about me uh, trying to find tranquility in an agrarian way of life. You know, this attempt at living in a Wendelberry novel. Um, I'll give you one example that speaks to the possibility of life and yet the need to cultivate and tend to that way of life. A few weekends ago, my family and I, uh, over the course of two days, we planted about 60 plants, which is about 59 more than I'd planted up until that moment. Um, and so I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that process about planting and about, um, you know, gardening and all, all these things. I learned all these sorts of plants that exist that I didn't even know existed. Uh, Ligustrum, Recurvolium, Shindu Viburnum, all these like cool plants that, um, uh, you know, exist. And if you plant them, they grow. It's incredible. Uh, we planted a bunch of uh you know, uh, uh, berries, you know, fig, fig trees and raspberries, blueberries, all sorts of fun stuff. The freeze this week probably killed all of it, but uh, it's okay. Well, we're going to press through. Um, why am I saying this? Here's the thing. I was for two days straight, really overcome by the mystery and the, the wonder of the whole thing. Um, did you know this? If you dig a hole in the ground and you put a plant in it and cover it back up, it'll grow. Like things just grow. Like the ground underneath our feet is is teeming with the possibility of life. That is magic. That's like pure magic. I didn't know that existed. For me, most of my life growing up, magic was like uh, eating a zebra cake and playing Zelda on Nintendo 64. Like that's as magical as life could be. Uh, the height of, of luxury right there. Um, missing entirely the fact that the real wonder was outside my front door. The fact that the world exists in such a way that it is meant to bring forth life, that it's teeming with the potential and the possibility of life. And yet here's the thing, that life, the potential of life has to be cultivated. I didn't do anything to create a world in which the ground underneath our feet brings forth life. Nothing I could have done um, would make that uh, the case. That is purely the work of God, the work of a creator who sees uh, his own creative power um, displayed in creation, that it's meant to continue to grow and create in this wonderful, beautiful way. And yet we have to cultivate it. We are invited to join with God in the cultivation and bringing forth of life. And, and I'll say this in two ways. We do this in an initial response and then there's an ongoing way in which we do this. And to stick with a plant image, um, when you're planting something, you dig a hole, there's this initial work. You dig a hole, you clear out the rocks, the old roots, you condition the soil, you plant, you mulch, you water. You do all these things as like an initial uh, yes, we could say. It's an initial yes to growth, a yes to life. And yet then there's the ongoing work where if I ignore all those plants we planted, uh, they will die. They, they, they are not strong enough. They're not mature enough to survive on their own. And so I have to tend to them. We have to water them a few times a week. Uh, we have to add mulch if it gets washed away in the rain. If the trees are not strong enough to support their own weight and grow upright, you stake them. All these things we do in an ongoing cultivation of life. And I would just say this, our own life with Christ is exactly the same. And so often in the church, it seems we focus entirely on the initial response to Christ and we miss the ongoing cultivation that's required. Um, there is an incredible gift to the evangelistic call of the church to say yes to life, to say yes to Christ. And yet we must also see the ongoing necessity of cultivating and tending to that way of life. 
we can live our entire lives in a world that has the potential for holiness, the potential to know God, and yet we can miss it. We can walk right past it because we choose to stay exactly how we are. And so the encouragement to me this Easter from our dear sister Mary is the way in which she was willing to go to Christ. She responded and said, I want to be near to Jesus. And as she does, that's how she hears his word. And she chooses to obey. We can't miss the obedience in our reading today as well. Look at what she says in verse 16, when Jesus said to her, Mary, she returned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, it says. Uh, literally, it's this term of endearment. It means my dear teacher. And we could sit for a minute on the tenderness of that, and it'd be right to do so, but we can't miss that she also calls him teacher. There's a profession of obedience there. There's a profession of you lead and I will follow. And I think the same should be true for us as well. Jesus can be dear to us. We can have a tender affection for Christ. And yet affection is not the same thing as a life of discipleship. And so maybe that is a place for us to land here today. That as we celebrate the resurrection, we, like Mary, say, my dear teacher, and mean it in both of the ways I believe she meant it, which is affection, a longing for Christ, and yet also recommitting herself to an obedient life of discipleship. May it be the same for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As you're able, would you please stand and we, uh, as obedient followers of Christ, will together affirm our faith now in the words of the Nicene Creed.